0: Hi, my name is Paul Crandall and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment. Whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc@isunrise.com. at That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're gonna find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. are so excited what God is doing and we've got a ton of baptisms after this service, we had a ton of baptisms after the first service, so man, God's just doing really cool stuff and we're very excited just to be, just to be a part of it. And you know what, I think, you know, when when God speaks, lives are changed, right? That's what we know and and, and, and we have a very, very high expectation of what goes on here on Sunday mornings and and our, our the bar is really high. <laughs> I'll show you how high it is. The bar is set to God is going to speak today. The the God of the universe is going to speak to you wherever you're at. Wherever you are on your journey, whether you're curious about Jesus, you're curious about church, or you're, you're totally committed and sold out. Wherever you are, God has a word for you today. Now you may be thinking, wow, pastor, you think a lot of yourself. No, no, no. I'm not God and I'm not speaking on his behalf. All I'm doing is opening this book right here. And this is a living book. It's not like a dead book that we just put on the shelf, it collects dust. No, this was inspired by God and still speaks today. And the Holy Spirit's gonna take this book that was written at its last form over 2,000 years ago, about. I mean, think about it, thousands of years ago, this book was written. And in its oldest place, even <laughs> further down the road, but it's not dead, it's not an antique, it's alive. And the Holy Spirit will press it into your heart and speak something just for you today. That's how high the bar is. So this is a sacred conversation that we're having. And that's why like Pastor Aaron said, you know, we want to silence our phones at this time. And and if you've got little ones, I just want you to know in the back right there, we have a room where we can't hear you, but you can hear us. Uh, It's a great room. We call it the cry room or the parents room. We just put some new furniture in there because we're seeing a lot of families utilize that. So just know if you don't know yet, that's what's uh, back there for you. And as we jump into our conversation today, and as we're walking through the topic of the Holy Spirit, in the writings of Luke, both in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts, I want to ask you a question, just kind of a, to, get your, to get you thinking a little bit, engaged in what we're going to talk about. I want you to ask yourself, do you ever feel anxious? Do you ever feel worried? Do you ever start just, just fretting about the future? Do you ever look down kind of the corridor of time and just start to get filled with fear? Right? Maybe you're worried about inflation. Or maybe you got worried about the debt limit of the U.S. Treasury. I don't know if you followed that. And you're like, what's going to happen? What are we going to do? And what do we do? We just kick the problem down the road two years. Which is what our government does. That's just my personal opinion. Okay, that's not in the passage for today. Okay, that's Paul's personal frustration politically. Right? But if you ever get like in just kind of a, a tizzy, if you will. That's how my grandmother would say it. Have you get like in a tizzy of just like, ah, oh, what's going on? Right? Just kind of overwhelmed by anxious. Thought Maybe your company is downsizing or your health is just decaying or your relationships are just kind of eroding. And Do you ever just feel like, man, you just get so overwhelmed with what the future is and what your present is. And you get kind of this pessimistic posture. Have you ever found yourself there? Like it would be really nice to know kind of what the future holds, right? Wouldn't it be really nice to know if I could just look down the quarter of time, I could at least know that there are certain guarantees out there. Right, like We don't want to live a, a dull life. We don't, want to, we don't want to live a predictable life. We, it, it would be great if we kind of knew how the story ended, but maybe we didn't know the journey of how it got there. That would be great because we'd still be intrigued, like, ooh, how is it going to happen? But we're not going to be anxious because we know how the story ends. This is exactly how the Bible presents our view of the future. That we know how the story ends. We don't know exactly how it's going to get there, But we know how it ends. And my case to you this morning is that is the only place, the only proper place to put your emotional health. You can't put your emotional health on anything else because nothing else is stable. It'll crumble, it'll decay, it has a shelf life. Sometimes it'll last a long time, but it won't last forever. And it won't be deeply satisfying in the moment either. Your soul hungers for something deeply satisfying. And your soul hungers for something that is everlasting. And there's nothing in your life right now that can meet that. There's only one thing that can meet that. And that's where you should place your emotional health. Because if you put it on anything else, it's going to crumble, it's going to fall, and it's going to crack. The only thing that's not going to crumble, fall, or decay is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's the big idea for today. If you're gonna write down one thing, I want you to write this down. The big idea is this Jesus' kingdom doesn't crumble. Jesus' kingdom doesn't crumble. He has promised us, here how, here's how this thing will end My kingdom will come, a kingdom of perfect justice, of everlasting joy, in perfect harmony. That kingdom will come, it's certain. Now, how we get there and what the journey looks like, we don't know. So we're intrigued and we're excited to be a part of. But this kingdom will come. It's always advancing, and that, my friend, is where you must place your trust, your emotional health. I give you an example of this just a couple of days ago. I was in my garage working late at, uh, at night, and I was putting sealant on these pieces of wood to build this gazebo in my in my backyard, and. And as I was there and I was putting this sealant on, these anxious thoughts started to enter my mind. And it kind of one after the other. And if you've experienced that, you know it kind of spirals and the snowball just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, about halfway down the anxious mountain, right, this, this, this word came, this quote came in, in my earbuds. And I wasn't worried. I wasn't worried about the sealant not working. I wasn't worried about the Oregon rain destroying my patio furniture. <laughs> I wasn't worried about that. I started to worry about the church. I started worrying about the gospel influence that Sunrise has in the community, and I just tried to like start to spiral down, right? Of worry of man, I don't want to mess this up, you know. I I I don't want to see this place not not do well. This body of believers not do well, and I just started to kind of get anxious. Started to get worried, and then this sentence came into my earbuds late at night, probably about 11 o'clock at night as I'm in the garage, because the only time if you have four kids you can get anything done is when they're all sleeping, right? And this is the quote that came, I want to share this with you. This is from John Calvin, lived hundreds of years ago. This is what he said. The devil, with the whole power of the world, can never possibly destroy the church, which is founded on the eternal throne of Christ. Man, I tell you what, man, my... The, the knot that my heart was starting to turn into, like the anxious knot that I was starting to become, got untied right at that moment. And I just stopped, put the sealant down, <laughs> and I just worshipped. Christ, your kingdom is coming. Your throne is eternal. That's where I put my emotional health. Yes, I know I get worried about a lot of the things, the peripheral things in my life, but at the center of my life, at the center of my life is the coming kingdom of Christ, the one of perfect justice and everlasting joy. I know that is coming. No matter what happens in my life, that is coming. And that releases so much worry and anxiety in us. And I think the passage today that we're going to cover can do the same thing for you too. Can release that anxiety in you. So let me show you it. Uh, Luke chapter three. Luke chapter three. We're looking at really two verses in particular, and it happens to be the baptism of Jesus Christ. So we got baptisms, you know, at the end of the service. We got baptisms during the service, and now we're talking about the baptism of Jesus Christ. And this is the beginning of the ministry life of Jesus. And what we're going to see here, John's going to depict, or sorry, Luke's going to depict in a very cool way, kind of this divine endorsement that Jesus Christ receives. And then this divine empowerment that Jesus Christ receives. He receives the endorsement of God the Father. The empowerment of God the Holy Spirit comes upon God the Son. And then he is, this phrase is said over him that indicates to us that he is a mission to accomplish. And with this divine endorsement and this divine empowerment, he will accomplish his mission. And this assurance of mission accomplished... Is the only thing that can free you from being anxious and being worried and resting your emotional health on something that's not going to crumble. Let me show you this Luke chapter 3, verse 21. It says, Now when all the people were baptized, so we got to get a little bit of context here. What's happening is John the Baptist is kind of the the forerunner of Jesus. He's kind of setting up the ministry of Jesus. He's a relative of Jesus, only a couple months older than Jesus. And he's preaching to the people in the area, prepare the way of the Lord. And he talks about this baptism of repentance. Repentance means to turn your life around. And so that's what John is saying. Guys, it's time to turn our lives around and get ready for the new work that God is going to do. And so all these people are being baptized. And then it says, and then when Jesus had been baptized. Now, we want to stop here because it's important for us to note, Jesus didn't get baptized for the same reason that everybody else was getting baptized. Jesus doesn't need repentance. As the scriptures tell us, Jesus was sinless. He's God. He never committed a sin. So he doesn't need to turn his heart to God. He is God. And he lives a perfect life. So why is Jesus getting baptized by John? In fact, John didn't want to baptize Jesus. We see this in the Gospel of Matthew that that John says as Jesus is coming, I'm not fit to baptize you. Jesus says to John, no, 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 we need to do this. We need to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. What he's saying is this is God's plan. John, this is God's plan for you. This is God's plan for me. This is how my ministry life is going to start. I don't think Jesus was identifying as a sinner But rather identifying with sinners. Because we realize that really the work of Jesus Christ on this earth, especially his death and resurrection, was he lived a life as a substitute. He took on death for us. He stood in our place as a substitute. So I think this is the beginning of his kind of the substitutionary symbols of the ministry life of Jesus. He was stepping in to the life of sinners Saying, I'm your substitute, I'm your sacrifice, so you can have forgiveness of sins. I'm stepping in to identifying with you. So I think that's what Jesus is doing. He's identifying with those that come. He's not identifying as them, he's identifying with them. And then all of a sudden, everything breaks loose, right? Look kind of what happens here, verse 21. Jesus had been baptized and was praying. And then this happens. And now I know this, the, the baptisms here at sunrise are really exciting. And you're gonna hear us clap and yell and go, chee right? At least Chemo's gonna do that. Right? We get excited. Okay, our baptisms don't, don't meet this standard, okay? The mark of what happens here is pretty crazy. I would love this moment. Maybe we'll see. But with Jesus' baptism, look what happens. He was baptized, he was praying. The heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from the heaven. Chee No, he didn't say it. A voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So we have this invasion of the supernatural that happens when Jesus is baptized. Now, I got to nerd out a little bit here, okay? Just a little bit. Your pastor is a nerd. You just got to know that. There's something that's happening here. Luke is a brilliant writer he really is he's a great writer and the way he constructs his greek is just eloquent it really is the gospel writer john not so much right he misspells words that's the gospel i would write <laughs> was just like misspelling bad grammar all that stuff but luke is like a precision instrument when he writes i mean it's really beautiful greek and what he's actually doing here and we can't tell in the english because our language doesn't do this he's doing this like background foreground kind of idea like you think of like a Think of like a photo, right? When you, maybe graduation photos, right? It's kind of graduation weekend. You took all those nice little photos and like you have your your graduate there and then you have Mount Hood in the background because you're Oregonian, right? Or a tree or a nutria, whatever you, however you took your graduation photos, (laughs) right? So you have your graduate kind of in the the foreground (coughs) and all this stuff in the background. That's what Luke's doing. So in the background of everything that's happening, is his baptism, his prayer, that in the foreground, like right in front of us, is the opening of the heavens, the descent of the Spirit and the voice coming from heaven. And I think what Luke is doing is he's saying, hey, this is great. This baptism from this man, John the Baptist, it's great. But it is a prelude to the divine intervention that happens in this moment, the do- divine invasion that happens in this moment. When God shows up in the baptism of the Son of God. And it's in this moment where we see the endorsement of God the Father. The empowerment of the Spirit. And we get a little clue as to what the mission of God is for Jesus. And how he'll accomplish that through divine power. All right, let me break it down for you. So we get to kind of the foreground, the point of emphasis. It says, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Now, what is that? Now, maybe you've, maybe you've seen like dramatic reenactments of this, of like Jesus comes out of the water and a dove, literally a dove, like kind of floats down. That's actually not what's happening. That's not what's being indicated here. It says like a dove, okay? But that word like is an adverb of manner. I know you're like, I didn't come here Sunday morning for a grammar lesson. I know. You got a nerd, okay? What that means is, is it came down in the manner of a dove, meaning like it came down gently. If you think of like a, a falcon or something like that, that swoops down after it's prey. That's not what a dove does. Right? A dove is like graceful. Right? Just kind of comes down slowly. That's what's being described here. That something, because it says that in bodily form. So there's some physical object that we can see. And it's kind of floating gently down on Jesus Christ. That's what's happening. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I wasn't there. But something was seen by others and the Holy Spirit was coming down on Jesus. Now what does that mean? What does that symbolize? Well, Peter, one of the closest followers of Jesus Christ, actually explains this. He explains that this descent of the Spirit coming down gracefully like a dove actually was an anointing of empowerment. Let me show you this because we have his record. This is in Acts chapter 10 Verse 36, so Luke again wrote another volume. He wrote his gospel called the Gospel of Luke. He wrote the history of the first century church, and he called it the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 10, Peter is talking about the day of Jesus' baptism. And look at how he describes what the Spirit did in that moment. He gives us meaning behind this. And this is why I say this is an empowerment of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus. This is in verse 36. Peter is recounting. He says this. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourself know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. So that puts us back to where we were in Luke chapter 3. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. So that's the baptism moment of Jesus when the Spirit descends on him. See, he calls it an anointing. That's very important. That's an Old Testament word. And the idea, the concept there is that God would anoint kings and, and priests. And he would do that as a, I'm marking you out for a special work. You've been given divine power for a special task. That's what happened in the baptism of Jesus. He's being kind of set aside for a powerful work that God has prepared for him. He calls it an anointing. And then he says that Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Well, what was the result of that? He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. So what is the descent of the Spirit? It's the Holy Spirit charging spiritually the ministry life of Jesus. This is where we see kind of the teamwork of the Trinity. You have God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father. Now if the Trinity is a new word for you, let me give you a brief explanation. Okay, Here's what the Trinity means. There's one God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. They are not the same, but they are in each other. Now if you're like, Paul, can you explain that more? Yeah, no problem. There's one God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. They are not each other, but they're in each other. And you're like, wait, that doesn't make sense. Okay, I get it. So there's one God. The Father is God. I don't know how it works. Okay, I don't. And you know what that tells me? That man did not invent the Trinity. Because that is something outside of our understanding of how things exist. It's a mystery, not a contradiction. Because we're not saying three gods, one God. We're not saying that. We're saying one God, three persons. So they're not a contradiction. But it's a mystery because we don't exist like that. That's not the, the way we understand being. Well, if we understood it, it's probably a fabrication of our own mind, right? The God that fits in your head is a God that came from your head. And God does not fit in our head. We don't understand it. It's like explaining trigonometry to an ant. Good luck. You know, you could go in there and be like sine, cosine, tangent, cotangent, cosecant. That's as much as I remember from my high school trigonometry class, <laughs> right? That would be just like there's no way they're going to get it same thing when God explains how he exists in the modes of his being. We're just like, what? That's why he's like, one God. Father is God. Holy Spirit is God. Son is God. They're not each other, but they're in each other. And we see right now this divine teamwork happening. The Father speaks. We'll see that in a moment. The Holy Spirit descends and Jesus is being baptized. Now here's why that's important. This is a divine Empowerment think about that squad right now like who can beat that i mean we like in the nba we talk about like all these trades we got to move this piece to this piece we get two superstars they're totally going to win we get three superstars now we're undefeated right how about father son holy spirit like who's going to beat that squad all of them are divine how are you going to win like the post moves of the father you can't defend right man first service laughed at that joke but whatever Maybe I said it too fast. Time to wake up, okay? Get some coffee, come in, get ready for fast jokes. But think about it like that. That's what he's basically describing to us. Is Jesus is on a mission. He himself is God. And God the Holy Spirit is coming alongside him for his ministry life. Which means he has infinite power to accomplish his mission. Well, what's his mission then? What's his mission? What is he going to do? And in the last phrase... We're going to get that. So, look at the voice coming from heaven. We have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in the ministry life of Jesus. He's already God, the Holy Spirit is God. Now, they're working in tandem together to accomplish the mission that they've been given. And in the last phrase that's said in our text today, we're going to see what that mission is, how the story ends. So, it says, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Okay, what what does that mean? Take the first phrase. You're my beloved son. Now this is important for us to understand. This is not the moment Jesus became the son. His identity didn't change here. He was already the son of God. How do we know that? Well, Luke did a good job actually explaining that. In Luke chapter 1, we saw this last week, Gabriel told Mary that the unborn Jesus was the son of God. We see in Luke chapter 2, young Jesus, probably about 12, actually already knew he was the son of God. Because when he was at the temple, he told his parents, I need to be in my father's house. He wasn't talking about Joseph's house. He was talking about the temple. Well, whose house is the temple? God's house. Jesus already knew he was the son of God. So this is a moment where his identity changed. This is a moment where his identity was confirmed as he's entering into his earthly ministry and then the father says i am well pleased with you now that phrase right there a jew hearing that right a voice saying that it being written and then an odd a jewish audience hearing that that sounds very familiar in fact this whole scene sounds like an echo of something written in the prophet isaiah hundreds of years ago This idea of the spirit coming upon someone. And God being pleased with that person. This idea of empowerment. This idea of endorsement. Was a promise made to the people of Israel hundreds of years ago. That someone will come. A servant of God. Who will delight God's soul. Is what the prophet says. Who have the spirit come upon him. Matthew a close disciple of Jesus, actually takes this this kind of promise in Isaiah chapter 42 and he applies it to Jesus. He says in Matthew 12, this is the one we were waiting for. This is the promise. And I think what Luke is doing here is he records the baptism of Jesus. He's recording in such a way to show us, do you guys remember what God said in Isaiah 42? How we spoke of somebody who would come, who would be please pleasing to him. And who have the spirit rest upon him. And this is where we get the mission of Jesus. Jump with me. Isaiah chapter 42. This is where we see the mission that Jesus is on. What he is trying to accomplish. How the story of human history will end. And remember, he's been empowered by the spirit to accomplish this mission. Well, What's that mission? How can we be certain of what he's going to accomplish? We know he has the power to do it. So what is he going to do? Here's what he's going to do. Isaiah chapter 42. Now, I got to start in 41 only because Isaiah is one of my favorite prophets. And the reason is, is because he's so sarcastic. And I love sarcasm. And, And sometimes, you know, you could take it too far. That's true. But Isaiah just, he makes fun. He really does. He's a humorous prophet. So what he does in Isaiah 41 is he's really mocking the people of God as they're trusting in idols. He kind of pokes fun at them. He's like, oh, look at that little idol there. Ooh, what's it going to do? Oh, I knocked your idol over. <gasps> oh, no. What happened to your God? He really is that kind of patronizing. It's really true. And if you're like, I don't like that. Well, take it up with him. He's the prophet. I didn't write it. But Isaiah kind of does this. In fact, he does this thing. I was explaining this to first service. And then my son, Paxton, was happening to do this in the car. As Paxton had all these Pokemon cards. Right, And he was like, oh, there's this one, and there's this one, there's but then there's this one, and this one beats all of them. That's kind of what Isaiah is doing. Isaiah is like, oh, look, here's your little God. Oh, here's your little God. Here's your little idol. Then there's the servant of God, and he beats all of them. That's what he's doing. Let me show you, because it's just so funny. Look at verse 28 of Isaiah 41. But when I look, there's no one. Among these, the idols, there is no counselor. Who, when I ask, will give an answer? What is he saying? I asked your idol a question. Hello? Like, I didn't hear anything. It's like Isaiah has a game show. Like, is your idol smarter than a fifth grader? Right? And he just, like, two plus two. And the idol just, like, and <laughs> you know, like sits there. And Isaiah's like, oh, nothing? Fifth grader, right? Like, that's what he is like, that kind of patronizing. Like, I asked your idol a question and I didn't get a call back. That's so odd. Maybe he doesn't exist. (laughs) He doesn't look it. He does it again in verse 29. Behold, this is like, again, he's saying, look, see, it's like my son with the Pokemon cards. Look, behold, they're all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. What is he saying? They can't even do anything. They do nothing. They're empty wind. They don't even pass gas. Now, that's probably not what that means, but that's how my juvenile brain took it. Right? They're like, they don't do anything. And then Isaiah says, but look look, look what God has. Right? He uses the same word, right? Kind of sets us up so well. Behold. See, there it is again. Look at this card. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen. Look at this phrase. In whom my soul Delights. Ooh, doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased? I delight in my servant. Isn't that interesting, that connection there? Look, another connection comes up again. So we see the endorsement, but look, we also see the empowerment. I have put my spirit upon him. Is that's, not, that's, that's what happened with the baptism of Jesus. The descent of the Spirit, as Peter told us, was the empowerment of the Spirit to do the work of God. And the one who was doing that work, God was pleased with. His soul delighted in. Do you see those kind of two themes happening in Isaiah chapter 2? So it's no wonder why the apostle Matthew in Matthew chapter 12 said, Man, that servant we've been waiting for, that's Jesus. And look what Jesus does. Look what his mission is the one who finds or who is found delightful in God's eyes who has the spirit upon him he has a mission and look what his mission is verse one still I will put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations man think about that for a moment like we can't get justice like in our neighborhood. And then expand that to our city, to our county, to our state, to our nation. This servant brings justice to the nations. Wow! Look at look what how else is described. Verse two: He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break; a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. Why? Because he's God and he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He has enough to accomplish the job. He's not going to go on empty. Divine power is infinite. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. From coast to coast, the hunger for justice will finally be satisfied when this servant brings forth justice. Man, isn't that what we all hunger for, mourn for? Isn't that what we grieve over every day? Every day when we're bombarded by the injustices of our of our world, right? We get, we get disappointed in others. We get disappointed in ourselves. We commit to be better. We hope our neighbors will be better, right? And we try to get better. We try to do better. And we just run into disappointment. Disappointed with ourselves. Disappointed with others. We just can't seem to love each other better. And we keep running into the same mess over and over and over again. And we wish we could look to the future and not fret. But we do, right? We get anxious. We get worried. Worried about debt limits. We're like preparing ourselves for the presidential campaign of 2024. Oh. oh, thank you. All that mess, right? All that angst. And what Jesus did, or what happened to Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, was a divine endorsement and empowerment. That's my servant, he will bring justice to the coastlands, to the nations. Everyone who hungs for, hungers for it, he will bring it. And look at how he brings it. Just to show you how much command he is in. Where we're described this servant is a conqueror. He conquers the globe with justice. But look at how he does it. He's not this like tyrant throwing a tantrum. He's not like exerting himself. He's not sweating about it. Look at verse 2. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice... Or make it heard in the street. What does that mean? It means he's not self-assertive. He doesn't exert himself. He's quiet. He's in such command, and such control, he can be calm. He's a non-anxious presence. I, I remember when I was a kid. Man, this, this verse 2 just wrecked me this whole week. I had to share it with Pastor Jacob and I shared it with my wife. I, I remember as a kid, like I remember my dad fighting for me. My dad was much bigger than me, much bigger than me. In fact, all the men in my family are like, the shortest was six foot. I know you're like, what happened, Paul? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. I may be adopted, but whatever. But I remember my dad, right, my, my, my cousins who were bigger than me, three years older, six years older, and they were bigger than, everybody's bigger than me. That's the theme of this story right now. And they stole my toys at this sleepover, and my, I, I ran to my dad crying, Daddy, they stole my Ninja Turtles, right? And so my dad like he was just beelining for my cousins, right? And they're in the living room. He goes, gets up because he sees his son crying, and there's a door in front of my dad. And apparently, instead of just taking the knob, turning it, my dad punched the door. Whack! And it fell. Bam. Oh, I was like, that dude's legit. You better watch out. <laughs> like, I did. I, I, I was like, here we go. Let's go. I'm the little guy, saddle up, like, let's go, baby. Right? I mean, I'm not fighting the fight. I'm the hype guy in the back. Yay! I'm not in the ring. Are you kidding me? No way, right? So, bam! He, put it in and he comes in and he starts yelling and my cousins literally are under a blanket crying. Now, I have always told that story as like a proud dad moment. And then I read this and I was like, that was not, that was abusive. That was not how we should handle situations. Right? That's way too aggressive. But Jesus... When he comes, bringing justice, he doesn't yell it in the streets. He doesn't have to scream. He just comes in, nope. Oh, we're not going to do that anymore. Oh, we're not doing that anymore. He doesn't just scream and cry aloud. He's in that much control. Isn't that amazing? Calm, conqueror. And he's so kind and gentle. Right, look at verse, verse three. A bruised reed he will not break. What does that mean? Those who are wounded, who are hurting, he will mend. He doesn't come in and just like run over them. No, no, it's not what he does. A bruised reed he supports. I got you. Like the next phrase it says, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. You know what that means? It means like the, the flames about to go out. It's a kind of flickering. And he doesn't go and blow it out. Somebody not what he does. He gives it fuel. Right? I'm going to care for those who are hurting. And I'm going to give to those who are in need. That's how he conquers. Isn't that amazing? And it brings justice to the coastlands. Christ's kingdom doesn't crumble. It doesn't crumble. So what does that mean? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Christ's kingdom doesn't crumble, which means what? We need to stop freaking out. That's a very simple way to put it. Right? Christ's kingdom doesn't crumble. So stop freaking out. Ah! My candidate didn't get in. I'll be honest. My candidate never gets in. I have, like, the candidate, like, election, like, uh, win percentage of Shaq shooting three-pointers. Like, it's low. Nobody ever gets in. If you ever run, don't tell me to vote for you because you'll lose. That's what happens, like, every time. Right? We fret and we get worried and we're like, oh, will, will there be some candidate out there to save Jesus? What in the world? Jesus saves candidates. Look, and don't, don't go me wrong. We want good to happen, absolutely. We want godly influence to to, to 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 go to our neighborhoods, our cities, our counties, our state, our nation, all that stuff. But if that doesn't happen, guess what? It doesn't stop the kingdom from coming. It's coming. How is it going to come? I don't know. I really don't know. I just know it is. And you know who's going to bring it? That gentle, calm king. Not Christians holding signs complaining all the time. That's not going to bring the kingdom. So we need to stop doing it. We need to stop freaking out as if the world is out of control. It's not out of control. It's in control. Because Christ, the king, the non-anxious presence, comes in divinely empowered as if he needs more divine power because he is very much the son of God. But he gets more power. Now he's got the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. This dominant team, this this Trinitarian trifecta of power has a mission to bring justice to the coastlands. And he will bring it. And he doesn't need you. He doesn't need you. Isn't that freeing a little bit? So so I can't mess this thing up? Yeah, you can't mess it up. It's coming. How's it going to get there? Can you be a part of it? Yeah. But if you don't join the campaign, that's okay. He'll be fine. He'll come. And he'll bring justice. And that's where we must put our emotional health. Right there. My king's kingdom will come. It has been breaking into human history since the ministry life of Jesus. And the kingdom has been expanding through the power of the Holy Spirit in the presence of the church. And it will one day be fully realized. So even if your company is downsizing, if inflation is on the rise, if your health is just eroding, if your relationships are just untangling, if everything in life is unraveling, the kingdom is still advancing. That means we can walk in. We can walk into that doctor's office with the confidence knowing that whatever that cancer screening says, if it says my numbers are high and the cancer is back, the kingdom is still coming. And that hurts, and that's hard, and I don't want that. We don't want to see that, and we get destroyed by that. But the kingdom is still coming. And even that moment, even that moment is a part of the kingdom coming. Now, is God excited about it? Like, is God pleased in your pain? No, don't hear that. God is not pleased in your pain. But it is still a part of the story. And he is crafting that for your good and for his glory. And he will bring the kingdom through that event. I don't know how, but he will. And that kingdom is one of pure justice and everlasting joy. So follower of Christ, man, you can have a steady hand. You can have a steady hand in the chaos of this world. Because Christ, your king, is bringing the kingdom. Now maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, right? You'd say, "Paul, I'm just, I'm still in that curious phase, right? I, I'm coming to church because I'm just curious about Christianity." I totally get that, and I'm so glad that you're here with us. It's a safe place for all your questions, hesitations, fears, and doubts, 100. Let me ask you a question: Are you expecting too much out of the things in your life, your 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 marriage, your relationships, your career? Are you you placing your emotional health on those things? Are you asking too much of them? Because are those things stable? Can those things really give you everlasting joy? Will they be truly deeply satisfying? Or can they crumble? Can they crumble? Can they leave you alone? Longing for more? Yes, they can. Look, those are good things. Don't get me wrong, those are good things. But if you place your emotional health on those things, they'll eventually fail you. There's only one place you can put it, and that's in the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. And you'd be surprised, man, the moment you enter into that kingdom, and you can do it. In fact, you could do it today. You can enter the kingdom of God today. You will be surprised at how much peace you can have in the midst of all the chaos. Jesus Christ has made a way for you to come into his kingdom. And in his kingdom, you like live in like a new reality that's just becoming more and more real and one day will be fully realized. And I hope today you make the day that you step into the kingdom of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That you'd see it as the forgiveness of your sins and your entryway into the wonderful kingdom of bliss. Who has a king sitting on the throne. The one who died and rose again who's been empowered by the Spirit, who the Father says, that's my guy, and who will bring a kingdom from coastland to coastland that will spread out justice. Church family, let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Oh Christ, I thank you that your kingdom is coming. That we can step into your kingdom right now. Right now, we can make you the king of our life and we can feel your rule and your reign just fill every part of our lives. Father, there's anybody in the room right now, there's anybody in the room right now who hasn't yet made that decision to follow Jesus Christ. If that's you in this room, you can make a decision to follow Jesus Christ right now. You can pray this very simple prayer. It's a simple prayer, but it's meaningful. It's meaningful if it comes from your heart. So if you want to make the decision to follow Jesus Christ today, you could simply pray something like this. You could say, Father, I admit. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit I need your forgiveness. I admit that I've moved away from your design and your plan. I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ, death and resurrection, is my only means of forgiveness. And today, today, I confess that you are the Lord of my life. Father, I thank you for your words, and I I pray you be with those who made that decision. Father, be with us. Man, we got a lot of things ramping up. We got a lot of worry that happens. Father, if we admit it, the more time we're watching the news, the longer the duration, the higher the anxiety we get. But Father, let us be persuasive people who have so much incredible peace, And Father, we we need you. Father, I admit that I cannot produce peace in my own heart. I can't. i got to pray for it to come in. So I pray for everybody in this room, every follower of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that this week when the anxious thoughts just start to come into their lives and the snowball of worry and pessimism starts to take over. Father, would you find them praying, on their knees asking, bring me Peace. Bring me peace, sink into my heart the reality that a kingdom is coming that doesn't need me, but I get to be a part of. Oh, would you sink that into our lives and free us from the worry and the fret of this messy world we live in. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.